1: Everyone is thinking You're not you You
2: Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate for March seventh, twenty twenty three. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network feed or our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms, applications. And while you're at it, throw a five star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. It's the best way for people to find out the show. Uh, you could follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you'd like to donate to the show click the link in the show notes it'll take you to our redcircle.com landing site where you click the red boxes to sponsor this podcast and you can set up a one-time a recurring donation uh no obligation whatsoever but we would like to thank all of our previous and current donors i'm one of your hosts it's old pal mike spears Joined alongside as always case low in case big week in dragon gate but also a big week in our lives how are you doing buddy
0: Well, you know, I got my Red Circle donation check this morning, so I'm in a very good mood. You know, if you ever if you ever want happy, positive case, you just hit the donation button on that Red Circle page and I'll be in a good mood every week from here on out. Thank you to everybody who donated very genuinely. That is uh, very much appreciated. A busy week for you and I. You know, I think we both did two written show reviews over at VoiceWrestling.com because you did the corkin show for dragon gate and the first night of champion gate and i did the junior all-star wrestling festival and the second night of champion gate which uh, by the way doesn't that junior all-star show already feel like it happened a month ago
2: yeah no it's it was like such like a weird like the the vibe of everything and it's not like a bad vibe but the feeling of everything like kiji muto's retirement show feels like it might as well be last year
0: yeah, time and it's sickening crimes. It, it just, it never slows down. It never stops. There's always content to watch. There's always content to consume. I mean, I'm looking at a list right now. I've got a few hours worth of CMLL and of all things, 2023 Osaka Pro to catch up on at some point. And, and not to mention the fact that I haven't even finished the big AEW pay-per-view from this past week. Uh, but we're not here to talk about all that wrestling. You and I have plenty of Dragon Gate to talk about tonight but before we get to that mike i don't think i asked you how you're doing how are you doing
2: i am doing all things considered uh somehow trying to navigate now a full-on move to texas i'm doing all right case you know i'll be better next week this time next week i will be a bullion how about that wow what a word hey i was a big vocabulary kid you know uh <laughs> yeah, yeah I, you are <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> well what other cool things did you do mike uh let, let's see uh make yeah i i did do taekwondo and soccer like i wasn't just like someone <laughs> who stayed inside reading the thesaurus all day case okay? so i was a well-rounded classical individual i had a classical education i'll say you, that you
0: played soccer growing up in texas
2: yeah yeah that that uh presented more questions than it was worth to be quite honest yeah there's there's a king of the hill episode about this oh and it's very true to life like so my high school uh back before uh way before i went there but he had like the high school had a a historical coach who like everything in this in the football and the sports is named after him like, I don't think we want a state title at that time, but he was the person who was known to, like, make the football program into something. And he always had a thing that he would go around to everyone's house in July and go to every high school male's uh, family and ask them, all right, what position you play? And if you say you did not play football, he, this is the 60s and 70s, immediately question the masculinity of you. like like it's a historical thing and i just think like if this guy was alive in the late 90s early 2000s oh the field day he would have with me when i'd be like no i do theater and i play soccer i'm sorry i can't play your hand egg i i I, don't know about this mike spears boy i just don't know about this mike spears boy something about him was a little off I'm I and I've been called not right so many different times, but I did have. Now, now case, do you, do you want a little bit of some cowtown nostalgia to get us going before we start uh, talking look, about I... all this crazy <laughs> stuff that happened in Dragon Gate this last week?
0: There's nothing I want more than quote cowtown nostalgia. Why don't you go for it,
2: Mike? So, also at my high school and later became a family friend of mine was a guy who was referred to as coach. He was a football coach, as one can say. He went around the Fort Worth high schools. I actually got to see his team get coached against Helix, which if you are a San Diego Chargers fan of the early 2000s, you'll know that Helix High is where one Ladanian Tomlinson played. But that's not the nostalgia. He A big thing, at least in my part of town, is detached garages where people like – because the houses are older, so people – didn't have garages like in the 1930s like they did not exist then so much later people built a detached garage and he has he called the manly man cave of which all he did was open up his garage door have a whole bunch of archery uh just targets and he would sit in his driveway working on his archery because in his words it doesn't seem like a fair fight to go at it with a rifle against a deer so I believe in archery, and he taught me how to use a blowgun at age eight. Coach was a fantastic man.
0: When I say I have no response to that, I mean it. That is is quite the tale, Mike. That is very Texas.
2: Hey, people think I'm the worst Texan ever. Uh, I just grew into being that bad, but let's get into the the actual program. Uh, A lot of stuff happening over the last week. Uh, Three major shows. The big I would say the first big weekend of Dragon Gate's year. And the biggest topic coming out of this, of course, is Champion Gate and the Dream Gate with Strong Machine J making his first challenge of the Open to Dream Gate title against Shun, who was making his first defense of the second reign. It was Shun who retained with a tricky jackknife cradle after eating one machine suplex, kicking out, getting put up for the second one. He was doing the spin around before it, and Shun shot the uh, double and rolled him up and got out of there. But the main event was of the Champion Gate Weekend. The Strong Machine J Revolution is not here. We're still in the era of Shun Skywalker. In case we talked about this with with uh, Champion Gate Weekend, it is the proving grounds. I know you had the written review for this one, but just your one sentence uh, decision: Did sh- did Strong Machine J pass the test?
0: Absolutely. I, I think. The big takeaway from this weekend is that Dragon Gate needed to check off a number of boxes. You know, on the first night, we needed Jason Lee to submit his status as one of the best foreigners of all time. They did that. We needed gold class to prove that there's still, uh, they're, they're still worthwhile investment in the idea of a 2023 BB Hulk, and they did that. The Twin Gate match, those are four guys that delivered and they checked off the box they delivered. And then this main event, you have the situation, the statistic that I'm absolutely obsessed with. You know, we talked last week about how this was Strong Machine J's 11th singles match of all time. Nine in Dragon Gate, two in Ryuku Dragon Pro, this being the ninth him versus Shun Skywalker here. It was Shun Skywalker's 10th career Open the Dreamgate match. Strong Machine J had wrestled one more singles match than Skywalker had wrestled. Total Dreamgate matches. Was this a match the year contender? Absolutely not. Was it the best match of Shun's reign? No, absolutely not. It was probably up to this point the best singles match of Strong Machine J's career. But if we get away from match quality, the thing that is ultimately you know a nice benefit, but does not matter in the context of what we're talking about. Strong Machine J came out of this weekend in a better position than he entered it in and that is the goal that is what they did a big thumbs up seal of approval for the big picture stuff coming out of champion gate in osaka
2: yeah and with this big test with strong machine J, the thing that got me about this is just you, you think about the mask like it is probably not one like the top 10 masks you think of but the strong machine mask i mean there's a reason why multiple companies still make jokes off the strong machine masks that's why stardom does it it is kind of historical uh mask but like being able to do this kind of match with a complete closed face match mask was incredible Like, like that is a display of charisma and comfort and jay that I really wanted to see coming out of this. And it is something that I think is quite remarkable. And we've talked about this is he is a very charismatic guy. He is incredibly charismatic and you got that so much through this match. He got his mask torn partway through exactly what you wanted to see, but just like the presence of mind of strong machine J to have this kind of match. Look strong in defeat. Like it was very clear that it was like Shun was like, nope, I can't take this again. I can easily shoot the double, get the jackknife, get out of here. That makes Strong Machine J look strong. And then the promo that Strong Machine J cut after a loss, you know, I mean, I'm not saying that he is a completely set and made man, but it is something that now he has passed the test, getting him kind of, at least in my books, towards that Shimizu tier of now can credibly be a Dreamgate challenger whenever you need him and that is such such a benefit coming out of this week like that that was like the leading thing like this was an overall test case this was the essay question and 40 points of your test was towards it and i would say that they probably got a 38 or 39 out of 40 in this in this portion of the test
0: i just put a picture i just retweeted it on the open the voice gate twitter account at open voice gate you can see from the weekly piero magazine this week a great photo of Strong Machine J in the ring with his mask ripped. And it's it's a great encapsulation of something that I think in a few years we're going to be able to look back really fondly on. You know, I don't know where you stand. I guess I'll ask you this question before I continue my little soliloquy here. But with the information we have now, and granted, you know, we don't have that crystal ball as much as we'd like to have it. Mike, do you see a scenario where Strong Machine J is ever an Open the Dreamgate champion?
2: Yes. I did really? not
0: Okay, all right, really. Okay.
2: Yeah, I think that he is someone that like charisma-wise, he pulls it off. He is a since he's found himself like I I can't like there's not a box that I wouldn't check with him. Like I can see a future where he is a DreamGate champion. Do I think it's a guarantee now? No, but that was not a path forward that was open to him until he went through what he went through Sunday.
0: Th- that is absolutely true, is I don't think anybody, in, I, I, at the very least in our bubble, anybody that, that just watches him as a consumer, as a viewer, as a fan, put him in that stratosphere before this weekend. But I think it's realistic to at least put him in that bubble of Shimizu-esque contenders. I, I think Shimizu is really the perfect comp here of, uh, you know, if you're going to slate these guys, you know, main event or upper mid-card or mid-card or and beyond – Strong Machine J seems like a a once every cycle Dreamgate challenger, an upper mid Carter, and maybe one day if he plays his cards right, he can you know secure that title. That was something that I definitely, uh, for as much as I like him, was not considering him to be over the weekend. But coming out of this weekend, I think you have to look at that as a possibility. I guess what I want to know from you there. There's a few other big picture thoughts that I have here. But we haven't talked about these shows at all. I read your review at voiceofwrestling.com of night one. I, You know, my review is up there uh, for night two, this show. What are your thoughts on the match? Kind of walk us through what you were experiencing as, as you watch this unfold.
2: Well, for me, it was something that this was a match that I can't say that I was immediately into it because they went for like the brawling and with like this especially given how they set the match like it was going to be more of a walk and brawl early on but as soon as they start tearing the mask and as soon as that eye port became open you kind of got to see the side of strong machine j unleashed that i wanted to see so badly and the way that they played off the interferences i thought was pretty well done strong uh strong machine f that guy has a problem about get Whoever they base his programming around is someone who really needs to learn that if he's seconding a championship match, he can't cross the plane. You know? Like Do you think,
0: is- real quick, because you, me, and all the other dorks listening adore that spot where in, in a big Dragon Gate Dreamgate match, there's a two point nine count, and the second rushes the ring thinking it's a three. Do you think that spot would get over in America or are people too stupid to understand that?
2: I just think that seconds are – it would have to be like Stokely halfway as I'm watching Elevation right now, jumping into the ring. Like the whole entire concept of a second is just completely out of the picture in North American wrestling. Do you
0: so think I a feel, baby face could get away with it in North American wrestling?
2: Yes. Like I think that you would have to do it really old school way. Like, like you know what it would have to have been? Let me tell you the scenario case. This will sound insane. It would have had to have been two years ago with the Varsity Blondes. It would have to be like Brian Pillman Jr. getting into the ring to like, to like try to celebrate if Griff Garrison scoring like a near fall in a TNT Eliminator match, if that makes sense.
0: Hot take. I really miss the Varsity Blondes. Also, as you're watching Dark Elevation, I'm watching some uh, Los Brazos on my TV. Oh, there you go. Oh, my God. Whoa, what a trio. These guys, I've got, I, I just randomly turned this on. I've got some, you know, universal. Uh, Hamada Universal comp tape going right now. And these Brazos clips that they're showing are unbelievable. Anyways,
2: oh, go oh, ahead. Oh, people don't get how good uh Porky was before he became the comedy character.
0: And specifically against Hamada, I, I think oh, yeah. they are they are some of Hamada's best opponents. Like you you go Paraguayo and then God uh, they, uh, you know they might be they might be the next best thing. I'm trying to think of of who else I like watching Hamada against. And the answer is everybody, but specifically the work that he's done against those guys is always super captivating. So I, I don't know how we got off on a 1992 universal tangent here, but to bring things back to 2023 and the Dreamgate match we were just talking about, it, you know, Shun's big matches are really interesting to me because – We saw this formula begin with the Yoshioka match, obviously, and I I, and I think we saw a step forward here to where now I kind of have a prediction of what every Big Shun Dreamgate match during this reign is going to look like going forward, and it's it's a little bit structured like a classic Dreamgate match. You know, these matches are going to start really slow. It's going to be very methodical, very plotting, and whereas in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, you know, you're kind of waiting for counters and reversals and a prolonged finishing stretch that takes you home. Now we're waiting on Shun to go from like an eight on the viciousness scale to a 10. And when he hits that 10, all of a sudden, then you know you're in business and and that's when the match really picks up. And that was the story here where, you know, Shun dumps strong machine J to the floor, attacks him with all these chairs. And then when they come back in the ring, you know, he starts ripping the mask. Yagi goes down And then when the chairs are introduced into the ring, that's when this match really takes a step up. Strong Machine J lariating the chair is one of those great more heart than brains moments that I think really solidifies the current state of Strong Machine J. And, you know, there was a point in time where I don't know if anybody was a harsher critic of Strong Machine J than I was. And over the last year, there haven't been a lot of people championing him more than I have because... I I don't know where you stand on this, Mike, but I remember watching a post-Strong Machine Army, Strong Machine J, this being really in the time of the generational war and Team Dragon Gate, where I watched a guy who was lost. He was unable to shed basically the dead act that was before him and unable to transition into the now. And now it doesn't matter. What he does going forward, he's in natural vibes now when he fits in. It doesn't matter if he's a heel or a face going forward. I have no doubt that he can fit into whatever he does. And it's taken a complete character reconstruction. It's a point that I didn't know if he was going to be able to get to, but he was able to get to it. So not only did he stay true to his character in this match, but he had relatable, worldly charisma that wasn't there in the Strong Machine Army because of the way the gimmick was presented. But once that ended it certainly wasn't there, and there was a long time where I didn't know if he'd be able to adapt the way that he has.
2: And it, you know what? Really, you're kind of beating around the bush here, okay? So I, I, I'm going to be the straight shooter here. He stopped being a legacy tribute act, and he started being his own guy.
0: Yes, completely. That's,
2: that's what it was. And the thing that you, you know, really kind of picked up for him for, that I noticed was during the first uh, Open the Beautiful game, when they were up in Sapporo doing uh, a PK contest, he was cracking everyone up when he was out there. Cause he's like a big J league. That's the soccer league in Japan f- fan. Like he's a huge fan. I think he's a Yokohama fan, I believe. Cause he's from Yokohama, but uh, he was just like, just like showing it. And it was like, almost like radiating like through him. And he, like, he did have like the open mouth mask so you could hear him clearly, but he didn't really need that. I feel like it's kind of, crazy that you have this guy who has this crowd uh connection being able to do this through his father's mask and when that never was a case with harada senior you know like becoming his own man was the thing that took him from like being lost being like as important as yosuke san maria was in team dragon gate to now being a champion gate main eventer
0: you know, I spoke to somebody last week, and I don't, I don't even know if I talked to you about this. I, I spoke to somebody who goes to shows in Japan, and this is a sentiment that's been shared by people that know Strong Machine J personally with me is, uh, I, I, well, I guess I, I, I want to be clear, the person that goes to shows, not the person uh, that, that knows Strong Machine J personally was relating to me, you know, think about all the negative impact, the bad will per se that Kaisuke Akuda racked up during his time in drangate you know, making guys around him less popular because Akuda refused to adapt. He didn't understand the culture. He wasn't the guy that people were rooting for from a a fan base perspective and from, you know, quite frankly, a company perspective. Strong Machine J is the opposite of that. You know, the, the sentiment that was shared with me by the person that goes to shows is this is a guy who everybody wants to succeed. He's a guy that's beloved. The people that I know that that know him personally have gone, this guy rocks. He's just a pleasure to be around, and there's a reason that he was given all these opportunities. One, because second-generation wrestler, they clearly see marketability with him, as they should, but also, he's just crossed these little checkpoints along the way that make you have faith in him, and it's so nice to see in this match, like we said at the top, just a big seal of approval. You know, I want to talk about this finishing stretch where... Strong Machine J, with the referee down, hits a dragon suplex on Shun Skywalker. Yagi crawls for the pin, but he's injured. One, two. It's a very de- uh, slow, deliberate count. Skywalker kicks out. The machine suplex connects with Shun Skywalker. It's the first time anybody kicks out of that move. And I love how Strong Machine J went for it again. The second time he goes for it, Shun Skywalker steps on his foot. They basically twirl around a little bit, counter after counter after counter. And before he can hit a second machine suplex, Strong Machine, or I'm sorry, Shun Skywalker, hits him in the jackknife, rolls him up, wins the match. It is a a finish that protected Strong Machine J. It was an on-brand finish for Shun Skywalker. I love that it was a flash pin, but it didn't feel dirty. It didn't totally take the wind out of everybody's sails. Just a brilliant finish to a very good, not great for me. I went three and three quarters, very good, not great match. But one of those matches that just made me feel so excited about the future of Strong Machine J.
2: Yeah, I was four flat. I, the, the thing I loved about like the spinning around is that when Strong Machine J beat him the first time, he completely discombobulated him during Rey de Perejas. And he did that by like, spinning him around and kind of getting him in a place where it's like, oh, now i caught you yeah, and it's a suplex one so him going to that was i thought was a neat little flourish that really kind of added a lot and it made like the the anticipation is like oh see he, he's going for it when can strong machine J get in there oh wait now shun managed to just shoot shoot low flip over and jay on commentary brought up the fact that prime zone which is something that like i did not know this about prime zone was shun was doing five minute challenges and the closest he came to win a five-minute challenge back in 2017 was from this jackknife cradle. So it was nice to kind of see that. And it's and it's something that, like, you compare and contrast that with Kai and the authorized Kanosuke clutch and the way that he was kind of sleezing his way out of it. No, this felt completely deserved that. It was like, oh, Shum knew that this was something that he got hit with again. He's already lost to this move before, two in a row, and that's it. Quickest way for him to get out of there because it's not like he was going to hit the Ashla. He was going to bring that back out for this. Like it just made perfect sense here, and it made Shroom Machine J look strong. I would say in defeat.
0: Last week we went through all of the Champion Gate and Osaka main events since they started doing this as a yearly tradition, which which goes back to 2012. And we saw a transition in this event from you know it being Shima versus Yoshino and Shingo versus Susumu, some of these big time matchups to this new era. 2018 onwards, where it was you know Mochizuki versus k and then Pock versus Skywalker, Doi versus Asumu, a bit of an outlier here, and then 2021 Shun versus ashita in 2022 Kai versus Shish- uh, Kai versus shimizu This has become a proving ground event, and in the same way that Benkei came out of uh, this weekend better in 2018, and Shun Skywalker did in 2019, and Kaito ashita did in 2021. If only Ashida had been able to stick that landing. And, and even Shimizu, to some degree, came out better last year. Strong Machine J did this year. So I think this is an event that we're going to look back on very fondly. You know, I asked you the question earlier, do you think Strong Machine J will ever be a Dreamgate champion? And, and and I still lean no, ultimately. But I think if you asked me in 2019 after the Pac versus Skywalker match, will Shun Skywalker ever be a Dreamgate champion? I, I think I would have said, well... I know he'll be a great Brave Gate champion. You know, I'm, I'm not sure about him being a Dream Gate champion, let alone now as we stand four years later, a two-time Dream Gate champion and the best character in wrestling. You know, I, I did not see any of that coming. So perhaps the future is even brighter than I think for Strong Machine J, but even as it stood, a tremendous weekend for him. Before we move on to anything else, do you want to talk about attendance really quick this weekend?
2: Yeah, let's hit on it. Case I know that you were thinking five fifty, six fifty. Allegedly, they sh- they sold every seat they had, but it was four fifty, and let me pull up the and five twenty eight. So it was under what you were expecting. Do you see? Do you see that being down at all?
0: Oh, well, I did not see uh, they sold every ticket on that second night. Where where do you see that at?
2: Oh no, it, on commentary they said that they were selling every ticket.
0: Oh, okay. Well, then uh, you know that's. That, that was on night
2: of... one, though. That was on night one. Night two, I did not hear that. But for night one, 450 was apparently all the tickets they had allotted.
0: Interesting. You know, th- this is something we'll kind of talk about when we shift back to Cork in a little bit. But I-, I found analyzing COVID attendance from 2021 onwards to be much easier than analyzing attendance in its current form because a Cork and sellout is now being recognized as 1300 which is, you know, I have no reason to believe that that's suspicious in any way you know the all-star show the all-star junior show did just over 1300 the last two fantastic mania shows to just over 1300 and those were super no vacancy full houses the weird thing is for you know people that might not remember pre-pandemic but mike and i really recognized 1800 as the legitimate true cork and hall sellout so there's still restrictions and i've got to talk to people that know more than i do about kind of where we're at in terms of filling these buildings. I know I was a little high in my prediction last week, but I still think we have to look at these as good numbers. 4.55 for the first night. That is up big over 3.83 from night one last year, which had Daya versus Fujiwara and the Brave Gate and the original Gold Class Trio, Kaito Ishida, Coach Minora, and Naruki Doi winning the Triangle Gate belts from Jackie, Funky, Kame Kaze, and Yuti in the main event. This year, the 455 for Jason Lee versus Minorita in the new Gold Class Trio of Ben K, BB Hulk, and Coach Minor versus M3K. And then night 2, 528 this year uh, for Shimizu and KZ versus Kakuta and Yoshioka and Skywalker versus Strong Machine J. Last year, they did 510 for D Courage versus Z Bratz versus Eta and Yosuke Santa Maria for the Twin Gate and Kai versus Shimizu for the Dream Gate. So up year over year, and in the current climate of a decimated scene of a very poor Japanese wrestling economy, you just have to keep on building on what you did the year before and Drangate did that. And especially with the information that they sold every ticket available on night one, that has to be looked at as a huge win.
2: Yeah, and to my knowledge, like, yes, noise is completely lifted, but I think that, and... And uh, my working assumption has been that they announced it, but they weren't able to kind of change ticket seating charts yet. It it was like they already sold these tickets and you're not going to tell someone, well, now you're sitting here because they've already planned for that. So I'm of the belief that tickets that were on sale after they said uh, cheering is back, the restrictions, whatever. I feel like then that from there, that's when we could really compare it to previous year because 1380 is not what they were claiming as a super no vacancy full house even last year because there were some 14 there were some shows that are getting close to 1500 in there so i think it is back to how the allotment was and how the seating charts were when they announced that cheering was back they were not able to cheer to really change that if that makes sense
0: yeah yeah that that's uh thank you for sort of illuminating that that all makes sense and i just had to put that together in my head.
2: Yeah, at least that's my read on the situation and from talking to others who kind of study uh, Japanese wrestling and and work within it, that that's the assumption that I've been given with that. But I I look at these both as two positive numbers, you know? I mean, as you said, year over year, that's really where is the tell. And you look at the the championship matches and it's not like that, because last year of Shimizu, Shimizu's from Osaka. You had that benefit there. Even though it was Kai in that main event for night two, whereas in this case you have you have, you have Shun Skywalker who's not from the town, you have uh, Strong Machine J first title challenge not from Osaka. That there were less training wheels, I would say, for night two this year, whereas last year night one, you know, you had Nuruki Doi in that main event. You at that point we should have had our red flags up about Nuruki Doi's drawing in Dragon Gate, to be honest.
0: Yeah, yeah, God, that that first champion gate show last year, and I, I hold twenty twenty two Champion Gate in such high esteem because the four title matches were great, but what what an odd show outside of that. You know, Yoshioka versus SB kento which ends in a DQ, a four minute Diamante and Hyo versus A Ten Maria match, and that original gold class trio, which, you know, we're we're still too close from it to wax poetically about it, but As this podcast continues to grow in a few years, Mike, we're going to have to revisit just simply gold class in 2022 and the bizarre existence that it was, because I don't think there's ever been a unit that has undergone more change and more highs and lows than a single unit did the way they did last year.
2: Yeah, I feel like that's where we need to get the oral history of that, along with the oral history of overgeneration. I oh, feel like God. That, oh, is that are... is that
0: is that next week? Are we gonna? Do, we've got a free week next week. No big <laughs> shows to review.
2: Oh God, I don't, it, I don't want to do that. It, it, it's either that or remember that guy Marathon Edition, where I keep on peppering you with random people to see, like, hey, Case, do you re- remember random people in UDO six?
0: Oh no, I don't. I don't like
2: that. <laughs> Brian um, Lee, and not that Brian Lee that you're thinking of.
0: Next week is Michinoku Pro's 30th anniversary. Maybe we maybe we just do something fun and talk Michinoku Pro instead of over generation.
2: I mean, I would look for anything other than talking about over generation. Well, case, you you alluded to uh how on the first night it was or uh, on the second night it was the test for uh, Strong Machine J on the first night. I think the big story coming out of Champion Gate from night one, and also one of the bigger stories of the week. Jason Lee becomes the forty seventh Open the Brave Gate champion, defeating Minarita and Minarita's first defense with a maximum driver at at eleven forty nine, and adding his list to foreigners who have held the Open the Brave Gate title. And Jason pointed this out on Twitter: Matt Seidel, Pack Ricochet, Flamita. Now, Jason Lee is the fifth.
0: I've said for two years now, you know, the the first time I made this comment was after Dead or Alive 2021, when I I took a look at the the Japanese junior heavyweight scene, which I got a good look at last week. And again, you can read my review of the All-Star Junior Wrestling Festival over at voiceofwrestling.com. I got a good look at the Japanese junior heavyweight scene this past week. And much like the conclusion I came to in 2021, I think Jason Lee's the best junior heavyweight in the world. You know, there were there were a lot of good wrestlers on that Corkin show. I think Fujita Junior Hayato is still one of the best juniors in the world. I think Hiromu, uh, despite the fact that he is certainly not the wrestler that he once was, I think he's very good. I I think Amakusa is very good in his new gimmick. I I don't think anybody's on the level of Jason Lee, and I I don't know if he's ever going to get the credit he deserves. You know. The thing that would help is obviously coming to America, at least in our bubble, for him to get that recognition, you know, and if I was going to build any sort of Gate Six-Man for an American audience, I think it would have to include him just because I, I trust him to keep the wheels on just in case anything would go wrong. But this match with minorita second best match of the weekend for me, just a... A beautiful display of pro wrestling. You know, the thing that we come to expect from, from Jason Lee and the thing that, quite frankly, we've come to expect from Minerita is consistent quality all the time. And now Jason Lee, I hope he has a chance to have a POC-like Bravegate run. You know, I, I I don't know how long this reign will go. You know, under the current booking regime that we've seen, it's a lot of quick title runs. You know, Triangle Gate Belt changed hands every defense for most of last year. Twin Gate Belt has bounced around quite a bit. There's been a lot of Brave Gate champions over the last two years. This is the time to slow things down and let Jason Lee run through this roster. I have a list of wrestlers I would like to see him wrestle. We can get to that in a second. But I want this to be the Pac in 2011, Flamita in 2014, Kaito Ishida in 2020. I want it to be that level of open the Brave Gate run, and I know he has the talent to do it. It's a matter of the opportunity.
2: Yeah, and you look at the possible opponents, and not to jump to your list immediately. No, please. And it's really, he is someone that I look very much like that, that Pac run in 2011, where Pac, other than like setting up Ricochet, was having these matches with all comers throughout the roster. And I feel like that the Bravegate kind of gets like this this palate cleanser you have Hyo's heel shenanigans into Menorita kind of getting like the look, he's won it. And then he loses in his first offense because of course he was. And then that kind of like doing all of that for the last uh well since uh Ultimos 35 anniversary show, so since last July, now you really have like an open book here that like, yes dragon kid has faced yo recently at Gita of destiny of last year but dragon kid versus jason lee in my books is still like a viable match like you don't have to like send him down for his turn there there's just a lot of opportunities here but the, the match itself like really in a lot of ways i feel like shows that jason lee and minarita who was awesome in this match as well like that total world frankly Frank and our flatliner was one of the nastiest things. Oh, fantastic. Just incredible stuff. You see just like every little bit of the game and both these wrestlers. And yeah, Minarita, I know that like the, with the character, we're going to see it. We, we saw the changes with him after losing the belt, but we got to see like, as like a one year project, Minarita, like come to full fruition within like the last few months. And that has been such a fun thing to see as well that, yeah, I ended up being only four flat on this match, mainly because of how short it was. And there was, it, it, it was very much how I'd want to do each spot throughout it. It's like, this is how I imagine it would go. And that's not a detriment. It just was what how I kind of expected the match to go. And it was very much how I wanted it to go. And I enjoyed that for that.
0: I went four and a quarter on this. You know, to, to go to your point of Kid just wrestled Hio for the Brave Gate, the vibes, uh, no pun intended, between a Hio Brave Gate run and a Jason Lee Brave Gate run could not be more different. I think the deck reshuffles here. I think it's a clean reset, and anybody uh, is fair game at this point. Hio included, Minarita included, Kid included, whoever else wrestled for the belt last year. I, I want them all to come Jason Lee's way. You know, Pox run, was over a year long, 11 successful defenses. You know, Kness, Dragon Kid, Yamato, Naoki Tanazaki, Ricochet, twice, Akira Tozawa, uh, Naruki Doi, Genki Horiguchi, all uh, fell to Pac in that run before he eventually lost it to Ricochet. And the names that I could come up with of possible Bravegate contenders look a little bit like this I've got Dragon Kid number one, and then Kagatora. Ryofuda, kaito nagano la estrella if he chooses to come back to japan jackie funky kamei hyo ishin minarita dragon dia mochizuki jr and if we really want to have some fun if we really want to make this interesting eta
2: yeah there's just it's interesting place where that under 83 kilos division is right now because we have some guys that just out and out cannot be in this division anymore where that really was not a case for like four or five years there i think yeah that- it feels
0: it feels thin and i don't know why that is because that's 10 names right there that could have a brave gate match tomorrow if they wanted to and that's not mentioning sb kento or takuma fujiwara both of whom i left off this list because I assume when they come back and we can talk about a possible return date for them in just a minute, they'll either be in the Twin Gate division or they will be in the main event scene and surpassing the Brave Gate division. I I hope that's the case for them. I think they have a special circumstance here where they're going to leapfrog past that Brave Gate belt once they return and go straight to the uh, the main event scene. But you could throw those guys in there as well. But I, I don't know. Do you have the same thought process I do where for some reason, even if it's not true, this division feels a little thin right now?
2: I think it's just the fact that everything with like Hyo and Minarita was such a palate cleanser that we kind of were like, oh, well, who can defend it? Who we can defend it against when that's really not the case. But like you look into it, I mean, like Yosuke San Maria could be on that list just as easily. So, you know, like there's there's enough people that you could just easily say that like, because you if you have Kakatora on that list case, you could have Yosuke on there as well. Let's be honest here.
0: I guess having a roster where you have a few guys other than, say, Cyber Kong that no longer qualify for the Bravegate division is the jarring thing there. Where, you know, Shun is too big and Diamante's too big and even Kato's too big and Nishikawa, when he comes back, he'll be too big. It, the rosters, both in terms of size, in terms of quantity and muscle mass, is just bigger than it has been possibly ever.
2: Yeah. And I think like that is kind of coloring it. Uh, I, the the one thing that you, one person you left off that list, because if you look at what happened in the opener in night two, is Manorita is not done with Jason Lee.
0: Yes, like, you're, you're, you're absolutely right.
2: So, so we could very easily, and I think that might be possible, we'll see how things are happening on the uh, the loop this week. And I would, would you be surprised if we get a quick uh, run back at Wakayama? Because I'm looking at like what could be at Wakayama, especially considering that there will be people It'll be harder to set up Wakayama than usual with the folks in Singapore this weekend, but I I, I could see them do it going straight back to this program for that kind of thing. And I feel like that there's life enough in this program that you can have an immediate rematch when that's something that it never happens in Dragon Game.
0: I think we're gonna get the rematch this month, and there's three different shows they can do it on. You've got March 18th, this next Saturday, which is Memorial Game in Wakayama. You've got the next day in Nagoya at the International Conference Center, which listeners of this show know that is a big building for Gate. That is a venue that they outdraw everybody outside of New Japan in, in a pretty healthy way. And then two days later in Kobe Sambo Hall is a national holiday in Japan. It's Vernal Equinox Day. They've got Sambo Hall there. That could very easily headline a Kobe show if they need it to.
2: Yeah, so I, it, it is something where... Yes, like as, as you laid out, it does feel like it's a thinner roster at that division at this point. But when you like think about it a little bit, I feel like that there's such a fun path forward for Jason Lee. And I something that we really should touch on, and we kinda of t- we have we have addressed this a lot in the past is where this now puts Jason amongst foreigners in Dragon Gate. Because to me, maybe this is recency bias. I think he's now on that Mount Rushmore.
0: Oh, I mean, I, I, think, he, I think he has to be. And I, and I think he was before this match, but I, I think he moved up a spot because I don't know where you stand on this. I think you have to have Pac number one, Ricochet number right. two. Mm-hmm. And then I would have Jason Lee at three.
2: I am leaning to the, him at three because then you're talking about Seidel or Jack. And to be honest, Jack feels like a lifetime ago like a literal lifetime ago jack evans and same thing with matt Seidel. like i feel like it comes with this like the person who the that i feel like is getting nudged off is flamita like long term because i feel like diamante ha- is making a his own claim there and i didn't even think about diamante yeah well like that's the thing like when we like we dial it down now jason it, I would say, I mean, he's three belts to becoming a a Grand Slam winner, if you think about it. And there's only two other foreigners who did that, and that is Pac and Ricochet.
0: Okay, let's circle back to Jason because I, I, I'm not quite done with his legacy yet. But I, so if we're, if we're in agreement that it's Pac Ricochet Jason Lee, you, would you have Seidel over Flamita?
2: I think Flamita is still four, but barely over Diamante at this point.
0: I thought about this a lot today, Flamita versus Seidel, because I've been watching a lot of 2006 Dragate recently. There's some stuff that uh, I've come across that I've never seen before. And if you turn on 2006 Infinity, there is so much Matt Seidel there. And a larger talking point of mine, both in the context of Drangate and in the context of greater wrestling is... You guys, I think I think we forgot how good Matt Seidel was for a very long period of time. Just just a marvelous professional wrestler who was kind of everything I want out of a white meat baby face. And Seidel, in the context of Dragon Gate, you know, Brave Gate champion, Triangle Gate champion, left really as the twin gate belts were getting formed when he came back. In 2014 and 2015, he was just doing the teamwork alongside Ricochet, never really had a chance to wrestle for the Twin Gate Belts, and never had a chance to wrestle for the Dream Gate Belt either. I think people underrate him just because of recency bias, but I still give Flamita the nose here. You know, Flamita was so exciting for such a long time. He has a little bit more longevity than people realize, you know, really 2014 to 2019. And so I side with him in that fourth spot right now
2: yeah and it Seidel is such an interesting one because Seidel kind of became like like he for those who don't know Seidel came not as a part of the Ring of Honor relationship but right afterwards because originally Shima wanted Jack and Jack eventually and Japan kind of ran its course and a lot of what they wanted to do with Jack they ended up going with Matt Seidel who fit in much much better like he was such an integral part of the company i mean member of typhoon member of just uh, blood generation blood generation i mean he would have been probably front and foremost in world one if he stuck around for another year
0: well that's that's the thing i mean the the lineage is you know evans and sidell are in the company at the same time but the focus turns to sidell when he comes in and so it seemed like anything they had planned for jack Went to Seidel, and then once Seidel left, Pac is his literal replacement. I mean, the you know the crystal ball, the alternate timeline of what happens if Matt Seidel doesn't sign with the WWE. It's like you said, he becomes a kingpin in World One. You know, everything that he did, Pac also did, and you know, Seidel would have had that lengthy Bravegate run. Seidel, if he stuck around, might have been a Dreamgate champion. It's very realistic or very attainable to look at what his future would have been had he not left. He just happened to leave and Pac was in the perfect place at the perfect time.
2: And it kind of became like a domino effect that like from Evans to Seidel to Pac to Ricochet, like almost like a literal handing the baton in that case. Yeah, completely. And I think for like those reasons, like I've Flamita is such an interesting case because he but like his legacy is pretty much Etch and Stone and Dragon Gate at this point. I, I feel like we can both say like, he's not going to be adding to it.
0: No, so. I mean, I look, I wish he'd come back. I I don't remember if I was, I think I was talking about this on the, on the show. I don't remember if I was texting somebody about this or talking about this on the air. I really wish the big Lucha relationship was with Dragon Gate and not Glee. It's frustrating. Cause I think a lot of those guys can work and I think getting Flamita and Bandito and then obviously Commander in the fold would do a lot of. Th- this company's in very good shape. Drangy doesn't need them, but I would like them here.
2: It would have made a lot of sense, both like historically and then also creatively. So, yeah, no, I'm totally with you there. I mean, because Bandito, Ban-
0: Bandito has an interesting legacy here. You know, mm-hmm. he only spent a year in Dragon Gate, but. In the same way that Flamita's entire career was made off of basically one match with Sasumi Yokosuka, Bandito's entire career was made off of the Bandito Flamita versus the Rascals match in January of 2018. When Bandito got booked in Dragate, I had to reach out to Rob Viper and Cubs fan. I go, who is this guy? He was not a known entity. He was coming into Dragate as Flamita's friend. And that Rascals versus Flamita and Bandito match got Gift. It went viral. They got into PWG and the rest is history. But Bandito's another one of these guys. I don't know if people realize that now because he's done so well for himself. I mean, I was at an indie show two years ago where Bandito was treated like a Jesus-like figure. He's done so well for himself. I don't know if people realize the origins of that, but his career was owed to Dragon Gate.
2: And arguably he was the last person who went to Dragon Gate and then burst out immediately right after.
0: Yes. And, and had he stayed, I think he would have been at the very least a champion gate Osaka dream gate challenger. He would have been that level of guy because the next year, you know, 2019 he's in that super juniors tournament and he's phenomenal. And had the pandemic not happened, I think new Japan would have used him a lot more. Now he's in Gleet, which, you know, some days I think that's a good thing. Some days I think that's a bad thing. I don't really know, but He's, he's probably the biggest asterisk of the Mount Rushmore foreigners list is what would have Dito's career looked like had he stayed. I think a similar question can be asked about UHA Nation and if he had another year or two in Drangate, what would his career look like? But I feel pretty confident at this point saying it's Pac and then a Gap and then Ricochet and then a Gap and then Jason Lee and then a Gap and then you know some combination of Flamita, Seidel, Diamante, but I give Flamita the edge.
2: Yeah, no, I, I think I'm with you, though. I think I would do Seidel over Flamita at this point, or Diamante over the three of them at this point. Uh, the match itself, we really didn't get a chance to... haven't talked about the Brave Gate change. Uh, Jason Lee has become one of the heaviest hitters in the company, and it's really kind of brutal seeing the way he throws elbow strikes. It's really cool. It, it It's phenomenal, but it's something I was like, Jason... Uh, you you could probably take 10% off that and it would still be as amazing as it is but instead it looks like he starches people and he got Minorita a couple times in this match
0: yeah I like that Jason Lees adopted this and then Coach Minora tried to steal his thunder on the second night in Osaka and when Ho-Ho Loon got back to the commentary table he was like God, that elbow menorah hit the shit out of me. <laughs> it's so good, selling it.
2: At, <laughs> selling it for like two matches after he came I, back.
0: I don't know if he was selling that one. I think he took the full <laughs> force of a coach menorah elbow, and he was feeling it two matches later. But your your note here is exactly my note here. It, much like the finish of the Dreamgate match, and and where it just felt so satisfying. You could sit back and go, God, that's good pro wrestling. The Now, month and a half long stretch, really starting with that Yoshiki Kato match where Jason Lee is just hitting guys in the face as hard as he can. What a phenomenal turn of events. And it gives him, you know, the maximum driver. It gives him Lee's wings, that Kimura lock. And then it gives him this big forearm, which really sets him up for these finishing stretches. He's such a dynamic wrestler in general, but now his finishing stretches, he has so many different things to turn to. It's all super exciting.
2: Yeah, it's an absolute blast to talk about. Well, Case, he, you, you talked about why Ho-Ho wasn't able to be immediately there on night two. However, we got a special commentator. It was Daiki Yanaguchi who debuted that Thursday against Don Fuji. And what has become a very scintillating kind of storyline happening, Class of 2022 are having their gut checks this week. Started with the debut with, of Daiki Yanaguchi at Corican against Don Fuji, and then continuing throughout Champion Gate weekend. It's, it, it's one of my, my favorite things in a wrestling case. There's few things that I enjoy more than a veteran being the crap out of a rookie, the rookie trying to summon everything they have in them and dish it back in. We're starting to get that in spades in Dragon Gate, and it started with this debut match for Daiki Yanaguchi.
0: Yeah, you know, there's a lot of things I want to talk about with the the current future class. So that is going to be Mochizuki Jr., Kaito Nagano, Yoshiki Kato, uh, to some degree, Takuma Nishikawa, who's out in Japan, and then Daiki Yaniguchi, who just debuted this past week. Hoho Loon. speaking of him, he made a comment. He made it in the Dreamgate match, but I think it's relevant here. There's a, There's a few different spots that I could have slotted this in. I want to be sure to bring this up. I think I'm going to talk about it in terms of the rookies, and... You know, I think anybody listening, anybody with any sort of interest in Dragon Gate, the beautiful thing with this promotion is we all we all like it. And I think a lot of us like it for different reasons. And for some people, it's the pageantry. For some people, it's the stories they tell. For some people, they think it's, you know, it it's kick-ass matches. They can fill a spreadsheet with it. It's great. The thing that interests me most when I talk to people that have worked in or around this promotion is I think these wrestlers are wired differently. And I simply, when I watched watched the in-ring action, yes, it's great, but I feel like I'm watching something truly different, something truly removed from the rest of the wrestling world. And Ho-Ho said something so interesting in the Dreamgate match. They were talking about how uh, when he went to America, he didn't realize that he had to slow down until he got there. You know, Jay was saying hey, when you go there, you know, you're know you going to have to slow down. Not everybody works at the Drangate pace, and ho kind of blew him off. I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And then Ho-Ho got there and realized, oh, no one works at the Drangate pace. These wrestlers in Drangate are all built differently. Maybe he was talking about this actually during uh, Jason Lee versus Minerich. I think it was the Brave Gate match, not the Dream Gate match, but the point still stands. Just how these wrestlers are wired differently and talented in a way that it's hard to comprehend unless you soak yourself into the fabric of this promotion. And what we see with these young wrestlers as Mike, I think we're looking at, at the pinnacle of this. And I said this about six months ago, and I think it's truer now than it was then. I think we're looking at one of the greatest rookie classes in the history of professional wrestling.
2: And it's something that you really have to look at. Like, three musketeers <laughs> that, that that's
0: what i went back to was we have to yeah. talk about 80s new japan there's not a dojo over a year and a half two year period since hashimoto and muto and chono that i can remember this many young wrestlers being so exciting and if that sounds preposterous to you it's because you're not paying attention and i don't want to go into this redundant fucking vulcan mochizuki jr discussion which is brought to you by jr goldberg who has never had an interesting thing to say in his entire life he's a professional pessimist he's a fucking asshole i do not care for him and he parachuted into a conversation in which he had no business being a part of because he's never seen mochizuki jr wrestle that's not the point of this discussion but i do have to get that off my chest the point is for the people that are plugged in for the people that pay attention and for the people that actually want to have a a discussion god forbid on stuff that they care about this is one of the greatest rookie classes in the history of professional wrestling.
2: And it's something that, I mean, immediately compared to like class of 2020 for dragon gate, there were some growing pains with that class when, and then you look at uh, future 2021 and how many people have come through it. You, the, 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 thing that like Dyke introduces that just like the rest of the class, like was able to have for different reasons was, an immediate connection in cork and hall like and it could be that he's very much going to be a one building guy that tokyo loves him because he's from tokyo and he worked there and they kind of go like hey this is the kid that we've seen for so long and now he's wrestling that's really cool but the talent and just like the way that he wrestled at least in that match was phenomenal and a lot of this i'd say for this week we have to give our Roses as well to Don Fuji, but when you look at this class and you look at the different things that they offer, you have Mochizuki Jr., son of one of the five greatest wrestlers of all time. When you have Yoshiki Kato, who is built different and has net and somehow is able to look act like the meanest person possible, but also suddenly like turn on like the uh, the, the your matinee idol charm. You have Kaito Nagano, brother of a J-League soccer player who's able to do certain things flying that should not be able to happen. And, and that's even to, and that's even leaving out the giant question mark known as Nishikawa. There's just such a variety here that, like, if you need evidence that the Dojo and Kobe is the greatest wrestling school in operation today, just look at the variety of this class. Because you have so many different Aspects of pro wrestling that are done at the highest level from people who are, have been in the business as little as a week.
0: Yeah, I mean there there's nothing comparable. You know, look at the Nightmare Factory. I, I think there's a lot of guys with potential there, but I don't think anybody's really been able to find it in a way that I was hoping for. And I still have a ton of a ton of stock in Nick Camaretto, and I don't know if that's gonna happen. The performance center has been open 10 years and they haven't produced anybody worthwhile. New Japan has a lot of guys, New Japan has a lot of bodies and I you know, I do a podcast with you, Mike. I you know, you you rail against their system more than anybody I know, and I think you're justified in that. New Japan, for as as bright as their future might be, for as talented as their young boys are, they don't seem to have that diversity that Durangate has, or at least they're not able to show it. And as I always go to, you know, all Japan has, you know, has one kid who I think will get uh, stolen by New Japan at some point and Noah has nobody and Noah's really never had anybody with the exception of Nakajima who wasn't really theirs these dojos they they would kill for talent like this I always go back to Ryofuta he's the worst guy of this era of young wrestlers and he would be the best guy if he left and went to All Japan, Noah, or DDT tomorrow in terms of their young wrestlers It's it's amazing the quality they put out and Yanaguchi I mean, what what a phenomenal opening, match! You were a little bit higher on it than I was. You went four stars. I went three and a half. But it is just everything you would want from a guy who is trying to endear himself to his hometown audience. He takes a beating, and then he fights back. And Corkin Hall chants his name in his first match ever. He has that wild Tope Suicida, which looks so good. In the end, it looks like just for a brief second, he might have enough to get past Don Fuji. And then Don Fuji reminded us who he is and he nearly broke his back uh, with a uh, with a Boston Crab there and ended the match. Just phenomenal stuff.
2: Yeah, and I wrote it in my review. like With how the Dragon System is and how this era of the Dojo and Kobe is, this could be a fleeting thing. I mean, he had an uphill climb, not completely as difficult as your, your Shoya Sato's, but I mean he faced rejection he faced injury and he came through and did this. like him getting to this point and having this kind of match if that's it then how do you remember this match along the same lines of 12-1 2016 and katsumi takashima someone who never wrestled on tv again after that match like you have like this thing that at least for a moment he had his hometown venue the place he worked at cheer for him chant his name and then don fuji like the, i i fully believe that there's no one who does this style of match as well as don fuji he gets it and he uh, and it's not just an enjoyment of beating the crap out of young wrestlers case it is knowing like okay i can eat shit i can do xyz i know that daiki we he's going to have certain things that i need to do for him to make it work and there's no one better at knowing these things and applying it as don fuji
0: Mr. SpongeMan, Mr. Let Corporation, I I really hope you hear this message. I I would like to personally fund a match uh, that that your your company can present. A 5 on 5 tag of Masaki Moshizuki, Don Fuji, Dragon Kid, Yamato and Naruki Doi versus Ryo Kaito Nagano, Yoshiki Kato, Daiki Yaniguchi and Moshizuki Jr. If we could run back the the closest we can get to twelve one sixteen, which was you know Shima Gamma Fuji Mochizuki, and Dragon Kid versus let me see if I can nail all these rookies. It was Hyo, Yuki Yoshioka in his debut match, Katsumi Takashima in his debut match, Shun Skywalker and Ben K. If we can run that back with the twenty twenty three version, that'd be greatly appreciated.
2: Yeah, that's got to get that to be a match of the week sometime.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Angry216, if you're listening, why don't you throw up 12116 in the uh, Voices of Wrestling <laughs> Discord at some point? <laughs> That'd be greatly appreciated. But look, I, I mean, th- these kids are unbelievable. I, I completely echo your sentiments on his debut match. And then it continues into the weekend in Osaka, where you see Mochi, Fuji versus Nagano, and Kato, a match that I went four stars on just because it was. It was everything that you would want it to be. You know, these rookies are so interesting, and I love what they've done with Nagano and Kato, whereas you saw the first iteration of these future kids get beat like a drum, you know, Takuma Fujiwara in particular. He's never won a match in Japan. And then you see, you know, they give Kato a win early, and then they give Nagano a win right after that. And now there's this real possibility in every match they go into, whether it's with Yamato or it's with Punch Tamanaga, These kids could win anything, and it seems realistic, and it seems possible. They do a great job of always selling that possibility. In the match with Mochi Fuji, they ended up losing. I wouldn't have been surprised at all if they won. It would have been a great moment had they won, and it was a great moment the way they got their ass kicked and lost.
2: Yeah, and the fact that, you know, building up of these wins that Kato and Nagano have gotten, and the fact that Don Fuji, who busted out the Hime, that's his name for the Boston Crab, against Daiki on Thursday, he has to resort to the Gato clutch, which is a move that whenever he does that, that is not like a standard flash pin. That's a desperation pin from him. And the fact that he had to do it on Kaito Nagano, who he, I am willing to guess if he's not twice his weight, he's close to that. But like this match that happened on night, on night one, it just was something where you, you see Don Fuji doing a head scissors and then two minutes later punching a guy in the mouth. It has levels case and yeah i i was maybe a shade lower than you on that but it was something that it is fascinating to see with mochi fuji now kind of coming back as we want to talk a little bit about the unit landscape we'll talk about that in a minute we're going to case have to come to terms and maybe sooner than we expected the first ever father son match in dragon gate history might be in the offering soon
0: it certainly feels like it's coming. You know, it's one of those deals. Mochizuki Jr. only continues to get better. And a you know, friend of the show, Alan Forel, made the point. We we might be looking at the single best rookie year ever. And I, I was so early in saying that about Fujiwara, and I think that's true. And, I you know, I I, I think some people fell off the Fujiwara bandwagon when he met, went to Mexico, but for me, it, it only made – it only made me appreciate him more because he went to Mexico and just seamlessly transitioned in this way. That was almost spooky. Like he showed up in DTU and big Lucha. And it was like, it was like he trained and had been living there for five years. It was just bizarre. I, I've never seen anybody adapt the way that he did. So it really made me appreciate him even more. Mochizuki jr. Has stayed home this entire year in dragon gate, you know, June will mark 12 months of, uh, since his debut, He's been great in the ring. He's been great in the stories they've told with him. He's performed angles. He has this charisma, this way that he carries himself that makes him seem far beyond you know a man in his young twenties. He comes across like legitimate professional, a guy that can carry the company on his back in the future. I don't know I don't know what more you could want. He's been in big positions and he's delivered. He's been in opening matches and he's delivered. He's had great matches for the sake of having great matches. He's been able to have great angles to further along stories. He's been a draw, as we talked about over the summer months. You know, that Ishin versus Mochizuki Jr. story that they really kept strong in Tokyo. Uh, we talked to people who are going, you know, I'm I'm buying a ticket to see that. I'm invested in this story. I don't know what more you could want from him. And Kurt Angle, Junaki Akiyama, Matt Riddle, whoever you want, I, I don't know who's done more than him.
2: Yeah, it's interesting to see like the, the difference between him and Fujiwara. I think the thing is, is that you watch Fujiwara and you're like, "Oh, this guy." I think it was Striga who said this. Looks like he's he's done nothing on this earth but pro wrestling. Like, that's what his purpose is. Yeah, I was like, that at, was
0: a great. I I remember that Striga tweet. That was a great point.
2: Yeah, fantastic tweet. Whereas you look at Mochizuki Junior you're like, "Oh, he was born to do this." It's not like that. This person's existence is. Purely to pro wrestling. This is someone that is, you know, the son of one of the two uh, greatest entering wrestlers in Dragon System history. Of course, he's going to be this way. But the thing that he has that Fujiwara did not have or does not seem to have that we're starting to pick up more in Mexico, maybe because he was putting the opportunity. You put Mochizuki Jr. in any position case. I've been hammering this for months. This kid does not strike out. He's going to put wood on the ball. He's going to get on base. Case, do you can you tell? I'm excited about the World Baseball Classic starting up tonight. Oh,
0: you you and me both, brother. But you know we we have we have an example of Mochizuki Junior that that didn't work, and it's not him specifically. But there's not a ton of difference between him and Strong Machine J in the way they were presented in their first few months. The difference is Strong Machine J in his original form was a one-trick pony. And, and by the time the Strong Machine Army, you know, he debuted April of 2019, and they won the belts at World 2019, a three-month gap in between his debut and a, a, his first title win. And by the time they had the belts, we had seen it all. You know, we knew what that act was going to be, and I don't know where you stand, but I know I was sick of it, and I, I, I don't remember you being super into that at that point. And we saw him slowly slide down the card. And like we talked about, you know, 2020 was a rough year for Strong Machine J. We came on this podcast and wondered if if he had a future in this company or if he'd be better off elsewhere because of his name. And he turned things around. The difference is with Mochizuki Jr., there's been no there's been no downside. There's been no plummet down the card. He just continues to get better and better and better. And he's in big spot after big spot after big spot. And he's a, a, a guy who comes across like a main event wrestler every time he's given the opportunity to be.
2: Yeah, and it's something that, like, th- the big thing is the second chapter case. We talk about it a lot, but being able to see, like, you had your introductory storyline where everything's protecting you and all of this. What happens next? And they maybe it is that it was hard to figure out how to onboard after Strong Machine J, like, onboard him into being his own person. You know, not being like the tribute act with his father's old manager coming out. Like I think that was the thing that really turned me off the strong machine army was the uh, shogun KY Wakamatsu every time. You know?
0: I look I have nothing bad to say about KY Wakamatsu. You're gonna have to fight that battle on your own.
2: He was so old. <laughs> he <laughs>
0: was that was an old guy who felt like an old guy. Right? That was, yeah, <laughs> so old. he was really old.
2: <laughs> Could be Jay's grandfather. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but You know, you you talk about that, the the transition out of Strong Machine Army and how Jay really struggled with that. I I don't know where you stand, but I have no doubt that whenever they they pull the trigger and move away from M3K, and I would assume that's with Junior turning heel on his dad. Do you know how exciting a Mochizuki Junior heel turn sounds? And that's not something that I want anytime soon. I think M3K has a ton of juice left in them, if anything, just for the two-on-two Mochizuki and Mochizuki tags. But oh my god, could you imagine him as a heel right now? The, the shit-kicking grins that he would get on his face, the way he would torture a Kaito Nagano or a Fuda, it, it would be golden. And I think he could transition to that no problem.
2: Oh yeah, no, it's, it's very clear that, and, and there, what, what, there could have been a very easy way to make M3K an overwhelming heel act, you know, like, like really play up the fact that he is daddy's boy, you know? But now, like the idea of him turning against his father, then you have the whole idea about maybe him and Ishan get on the same page again. Well, it
0: certainly seems like they are going to be linked. And we can't forget about the three-way between Ishan and Junior and Strong Machine J. Was that at final gate? No, that was at Gate of Origin that they did that, right? That three-way?
2: I believe so, yeah
0: yeah that look don't forget about that keep that in your back pocket just as things go on and these units change at some point i i would assume that we're gonna get those three in a unit doing that thing doing this second generation thing all with one another
2: i'm with you on that I, it just seems like that that has a lot of legs to it if they decided to do that and you know we've talked a little bit about natural vibes we've talked a lot about m3k we've even touched on you know the the whole thing with zebras of shun in this but a unit case that i felt like is in a very interesting position coming out of champion gate weekend is gold class and just the way that you know gold class came into the weekend with everyone being strapped up uh Uh, Gold class defeats M3K to main event night one. And maybe this is just me here. I feel like that gold class might be perfect the way it is. And I did not see that happening. And for me to say a four-unit, a four-member unit is exactly where I want it to be. I think that gold class now with Minerita, especially with the changes that happened with Minerita after losing the Brave Gate and seeing that play out, I think that... I. I'm fascinated by gold class at this point in time far more than I expect it to be.
0: So, where are you at with the idea of Minarita possibly turning his back on the unit? Is that something you want to see, or do you want the, do you want to see this play out uh, the way that it is currently?
2: Oh i I think there's a lot of mileage in Sad Boy Minarita, to be honest. So, like, like the, when Benkei, like basically electric chair chicken, fought got him on his shoulders to to carry him out of Edion Arena. That's like I was like, "Oh, that's perfect like this." Like if he's going to go heel, like yeah, I I he naturally is going to be a great heel. We've seen how he has been as Minorita and how knowing he's been kind of as like a tweener here, him going heel be uh, would be obvious. I just want to kind of play out this hand with Gold Class though.
0: Yeah, I I'm with you because I'm fearful of sad boy Minorita I I think you know when this unit was drawn up and, and to go back to the conversation we had earlier you know it was it was weird the original incarnation of this unit was Himbo Coach Minora and Legacy Act Naruki Doi and calling people ugly Kaito Ishida and then you add Takumi Hayakawa into the mix as this mini me Minora and, you know, the original goal of the unit was kind of to make fun of him. And and it was very awkward in the way that it was placed and the way that it was presented. And then Minarita made it work. And I just wonder now if he can pull off a heel turn. Like, it seems like that was the original intent and people fell in love with him to such a degree that he couldn't do it. And I, I just, I worry about upsetting the apple cart here. I really want them to explore... Ben and Minorita together and maybe that creates a situation for as much as I don't like interunit fighting or at least interunit matchups maybe that creates a situation of Minora and Hulk versus Ben and Minorita I think that would be a really interesting uh, dynamic to play with but I'm kind of with you even though it seems like they're changing Minorita's character and there's an evolution coming in the near future I'm not interested in a ton of change in them right now I kind of want to see them let this play out Because they found a way to make 2023 BB Hulk interesting. And when you do that, you leave things as is until it becomes uninteresting.
2: Yeah, like the only reason I could see adding or changing things around is if you decide that Minorita now can not be a Lost Post, basically. And I don't see that happening with his size. Like, that's naturally going to be the thing with him. So you kind of have to keep him in this role unless... Because, like, the idea of heel-turn Minorita, like, even if it's just, like, like the crow Minorita, if you will, <laughs> even if it's like that, is, like, he's still five-foot-nothing at the end of the day. He should be beaten by basically, naturally, everyone on that roster with the exception of maybe Dragon Kid physically and then and then Puncho Minaga and Sokka Chikawa, right? Yeah. Like, it's just one of those things that, like, the aspect that he's always going to have to use all of his skills to work, I don't think that works as a heel, without drastically changing around like the logic of Minorita. Yeah, I'm
0: kind of with you. I just, I I wouldn't touch it. You know, you can play with Minorita to some degree, but I think the end story, unless you're going to do away with gold class, which I don't think they're going to do, I think this year we're going to see a unit get added. I don't see... Uh, for a while at least, a unit being taken away and and, and put a pin on that. I want to kind of come back to that conversation, but I, I don't see gold class ending anytime soon. I guess let me throw it to you now. What do you think is the next unit to fold in Dragon Gate?
2: I mean, as much as I hate to say it, because Decourage is, they're not going to really mess with Decourage, I think, right now. Like you 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 had the whole storyline about both Kakuta and uh, Yoshioka being faced now like you can't really like have a turn happen in a three person's unit Dai is not going to turn heel. So like DeCourage is off the table.
0: No, you uh, you got to put a bubble over DeCourage. Do not touch them. You want to throw Dragon Kid in the mix be my guest. That is the only thing you can change about this unit for the foreseeable future because everything about DeCourage has worked to such an alarming degree.
2: Right. And then Z Brats, like it's like there's going to be change with Z Brats, but it's going to be heal unit change. It's not going to be disbands change because it's a heal unit, and they have such a percentage in winning disbands matches that you just cannot vote for them to be disbanded. And then that means your eyes go look at either M3K or Natural Vibes. Natural Vibes has the legacy. It has as a full complement. You have a lot of stuff there. Or you have M3K. And I think M3K is the obvious one, even though natural vibes probably has another calendar year left in it, I would say, before you really got to kind of exit strategy there. So I think it's M3K. I
0: I mean, look, vibes could be this generation's crazy max if they wanted them to be. I, I don't I don't see a need for vibes to go away anytime soon, but I also if I was gonna put money on a unit. The favorite might be M3K, but I, I think I would side with Vibes just for the sake of shaking things up. Now, again, that's not something I necessarily want. It's not something that the company needs. I think Natural Vibes does a ton of good for them. Merchandise-wise, talent-wise, talent-development-wise, wrestlers get better when they wrestle Natural Vibes. But they teased getting rid of them last year with zebrats. High-end went away. Natural Vibes is still there. Zebrats is still there. I don't think they're entirely done with that feud. It's it's an interesting thing to look at. I, I I am hopeful. I'm an optimist, and I think, man, they're gonna let this M3K thing ride just a little bit longer. And I hope they do because I, obviously after this week, M3K was just on fire.
2: Yeah. So, like talking about units in this wave, something that really kind of stuck out to me is D Courage and Dragon Kid and for weeks we were thinking like that might have be like the thing coming out of Ray De Perejas, like how usually a unit would gain a new member through a summer adventure tag league but i'm now not getting that vibe i coming out of champion gate i'm wondering is the thing about the one person we have the biggest questions about is the answer there not a new millennials not the not a leaving is it joining d courage should Ata join d courage case
0: why that's uh, you know
2: loaded question loaded question i know
0: you know i was taking a walk today and it was a little colder than i thought it was gonna be I wasn't wasn't fully prepared for the cold and in the middle of my walk i i felt like i was gonna pass out all of a sudden which is not not a feeling i'm used to uh I quickly had to run into a, a a subway, the restaurant, not the train station. I had to run into a subway and uh, I ordered a cookie and drank a, a little coke real quick to sort of refresh. It was a very odd feeling. And I I, I realized later, I p- almost passed out thinking about Ata and thinking about his health and thinking about his future, and trying to remind myself: look, this guy has a neck that is in horrible shape. And I I try to be sensitive to that and realize that this guy is a human and that he deserves to protect his health as much as he can, but I am also so fucking ready for Aita to do something interesting. It kills me watching him with these lively crowds who are eating out of the palm of his hands to see him do nothing. Do I think D-Courage is the answer? No. Because D-Courage is this pure, white meat babyface team that Dragon Kid fits into, but Aita does not. A-Team... ATA, rather, muddies the water in a way that I just wouldn't play with. DeCourage has worked so well now for so long over a year. Do not touch it. Do not give ATA a chance to infect them in the wrong way.
2: I don't know. I watched this uh, pre-intermission finale between on Night 2 Champion Gate case that Yamato Yoshida versus Dragon Kid and his two sons goofus and gallant and <laughs> the chemistry that dia and Ata have especially dia being the babyface in peril hot tagging in Ata, it just made my mind wander made me go to places enough that i wanted to talk about the idea of it's not dragon kid that they need they need Ata, the merch mover the guy provides a little bit of edge you know a little bit of trickery the mexico connection with yoshioka you could you could play up there the whole thing about how Ata in a lot of ways was kind of the ringleader of how these three guys kind of ended up together. You know, I mean, it, he shows up in R.E.D., Ata's unit, uh, Dragon or Di Inferno, uh, Hip Hop kakuda, Ada's stewardship brings him in there. And they are all focused really in Inferno's case to take out Dragon Kid's true pupil. I think it could work. Case did did I move the needle for you whatsoever with this idea?
0: You you moved the needle ever so slightly. I'm still not there. I, I do think the good news is, I think if they're gonna do something with Aita, you know, my my ideal scenario has been they do nothing with Yamato and they do something with Aita. Keep Yamato unaligned. Keep him grumpy. Keep him a little pissed off and on the undercard where I think he's super interesting, but do something with Ata. And I get the feeling as now, you know, we're through the first big weekend of the year, dead or alive around the corner. Normally we would say King of Gate around the corner, but, uh, you know, as, as Jay pointed out this week when the May schedule was released, the name of the tour is Hopeful Gate and not King of Gate. So we don't know what's going on there. But if you look at the immediate calendar, I think we're going to get some movement here. Again, Dead or Alive coming up May 5th in Nagoya, Aichi, Japan. Very relevant. It is not only Dragon Kid's hometown, but SP Kento's hometown. And if you look at the upcoming schedule, which we referenced a little bit earlier, March 18th, the smallest big show of the year, but a big show nonetheless. Uh, Memorial Gate in Wakayama. The next date they go to Aichi Nagoya at the International Conference Center. And all I can think of is last year, In April, they run Kanazawa, which is Kakuta's hometown. That's where he makes a surprise return, turns his back on Zebrats, and says he's going to be a babyface going forward. You have to wonder if SB Kento and Takuma Fujiwara, who are no longer in Mexico, are going to show up at either Memorial Gate or at the house show the next day in Nagoya, if they're going to make their presence felt. And I think from there, once they come back, if Aita is going to do something, whether it's with or against them, we will know because he'll have to choose a side if he's going to. And if he stays on the sidelines, then, then we're just going to have to accept that Aita is going to be unaffiliated for a very long time.
2: Yeah, and the one thing, because uh, we talked a little bit about this on air, uh, off air, I don't have a lot more about like the whole thing with like SB and, and all that. I, I see that line up there. The the one thing is, I think Yamato because Yamato said that he's not he's going unaffiliated for one year, and I wonder if he's driven mad by Ryukyu Dragon, and then at the end of the year he'll turn. That's when you revise Z Brats into whatever the next heel unit is.
0: I love that Yamato was this warrior for the independence on the the Junior All Star Festival. You know, complaining that New Japan only uses these guys when they need them. They don't care about them. And his gimmick in Riku Dragon Pro is that he doesn't need them. He doesn't care about them. It's a waste of time for him to be there. It's, it's really good. I, I really like what Yamato is doing now that he's away from the, uh, the big picture in Dragon Gate.
2: It, it, it is something that, you know, as soon as he dropped that title, as soon as he dropped the Dream Gate, he has been so much fun after that. And, you know, he was even fun leading up to that Dream Gate when, like, MMA Yamato was fun last year. He was fun this weekend. He,
0: he was fun this weekend against Konamama Ichikawa. I, I was talking to Rich Krejci of the flagship podcast today, raving, losing his mind over Yamato versus Ichikawa, which quite frankly, I, I thought was an average stalker match, but boy, did that strike a chord with him.
2: Yeah, it was. It, it's something that I feel like coming out of this weekend and to kind of not necessarily put a bow on this because well, we have some other stuff we'll, we'll be talking about, but you look at these two shows, Neither of them longer than two and a half hours. And up and down the, show, the showcase, nothing there that I would say was bad. Nothing there that I felt like was wasting my time. For a Champion Gate weekend, that Champion Gate undercard, we've gone through it. case. They are, have been some stinkers over the years. This might be one of the... I know last year, you, we have all of the, the, the title matches here not all the title matches delivered to that level here, but as complete shows, and especially with Osaka, the way it was, I can't think of much that dragon gate did wrong coming out of Osaka this weekend. And I think I remember this as fondly as some of the other champion gates we've talked about in the past with some of the big moments there.
0: Yeah. I thought night one was a really strong show. Top to bottom night two, uh, the title matches were good. Uh, uh, real quick cuz we haven't talked about it. What are your thoughts on the Triangle Gate match?
2: Oh, Triangle Gate match. I Susumu and Kanda. Uh I Yazushi Kanda maybe had his best week of his career. Entering. Unreal.
0: Unreal.
2: Just tremendous stuff coming off of that cork in which that is my new Dragon Gate match of the year right now is the Raid to House finals. I just it was just Unreal work there. Junior going one on one with Benke. We, we've we all seen the German uh, herd around the world, but just like the way that, like afterwards, like the way they played that out with him getting shoved into his dad and getting the Masakari, it was just phenomenal stuff. And I, you know, I went four and a quarter because I thought that it was as much of a step-forward match for Mochizuki Jr. is anything that happened in Raid at House
0: I was four flat. My match the weekend was the Twin Gate match that I was four and a quarter on. Liked it just a hair more than Jason versus Minorita. What were your thoughts on the Twin Gate match?
2: I was uh, four and a quarter. Actually, I four and a half on that. So actually, that was my highest match out of Champion Gate. I really enjoyed, like, the sky... It, shimizu is really amusing me right now coming back from the states like the pop that was for the sky high on kakuta case was was unreal like everyone freaked out for that
0: yeah there's a bunch of spots in this twin gate match that i i really liked. the the thing that i described in my review as basically a flash frog splash where kakuta drills kz with a lariat and then out of nowhere Yoshioka dives from the corner. I mean, it's basically like as soon as KZ hits the ground, Yoshioka takes off. And KZ just got his knees up in time. Everything from that moment on to that match I thought was was simply terrific. You know, uh, Big Time does a great uppercut powerbomb combination. There's a, a Yuki Yoshioka, I guess he calls his move the bone mace, but it was basically a, a Nick Gage chokebreaker. Sort of, it was like a sit-out choke slam that just looked fantastic. A whole bunch of stuff in this match that was great. And it it, it ends in the closing stretch where KZ hits the Swanton Bomb and then the Santo dive, that sort of uh, suicide dive out of the corner of the ring onto Kakuta. And then the big boss splash onto Yoshioka for the win. Like I said, four and a quarter of my match of the weekend. Should be noted, Mike. Madoka Kakuta did not get pinned. Are we, are we buying into this idea that it's Skywalker versus Kakuta for the Dreamgate belt at Dead or Alive?
2: I know that I was a little hesitant about Kakuta at Dead or Alive against Skywalker, but the way that they have treated Kakuta during this tournament, and more specifically, Yoshioka taking the falls now, I, I'm on board now. Like, did, am I, did I buy a first-class seat for this train case. No, I did not. I it's still a flexible ticket, you know, sometimes you gotta change things up. I don't know how my travel will be, but I think for now, yeah, I'm on board Kakuda, uh, shooting Skywalker. I I just hope they bring back the great VTRs for that one because you could do so much with Kakuda's return around that match.
0: It feels like the match you have to do. If you hang on until world I worry that Kakuta is going to lose some momentum, but right now, these are the two hot guys in the company. It's the dominant heel champion in Madoka Kakuta, and nobody feels hotter than Kakuta. You could go KZ, but one, he's a Twin Gate champion, and two, I think that's a little bit boring. You could do you know somebody from gold class, but they're all belted up. You're not going to do Dragon Daya. You're not going to do Yuki Yoshioka. I don't see it being Eita. I don't see it being Doi. I think it has to be Kakuta. That's the right story to tell.
2: And you look at that building and what I think that they have to do a cage match this year there to begin with. So you you don't have to worry too much about other people figuring out what to do there because they kind of, in a lot of way have been cage teasing Aichi over the last four years. Because oh God, you... it's,
0: it's, it's my favorite thing in 2020 when they gave, you know, there was no dead or alive 2020. So they gave Tokyo the cage match and the the tweets on my timeline from fans that live in Aichi going, wait, that's that's our thing. Why, why is Tokyo getting that? We the, were the cage match city, and then they you know, they didn't get one in twenty one. Oh, they, they didn't did get twenty one. What was the twenty one match?
2: That was. Oh, it was the, the
0: uh, it was uh, SP Kento and Dragon Kid and Yamato and Kai. That's yeah, right. It was that
2: the House and Caribe, which did not feel as much like a cage match as twenty twenty did. God, I want to go back and
0: rewatch that. That's an interesting match, just for the the way those four careers have gone since, that's that feels like it was so long ago. And then la- last year, they didn't do one. Right, yeah. What was the main event last year? Who was Dreaming? It was Kai. Oh, it was Kai Sasuma. It was one of my match of the year. It was fucking great. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Uh, it just, it, look, it's Gate booking. We, we could come out of this weekend and they could sell me on Genki versus Shun being the main event. Th- this is a company that, When I think they're going to zag, they zig. You know, I I feel like I'm as in tune as anybody, and yet they continuously surprise me with their booking plans. It just feels like they've got a straight shot here with Shun versus Kakuta, the built-in story two years ago, youngest Dreamgate match ever. Kakuta blows out a shoulder 90 seconds into the match. They've got a story here. It's even better now because Shun is a heel. He was a babyface in that match. Very awkward for everybody involved. Just take the shot, to the match.
2: Yeah, there's no reason to complicate things. That's what the cage is for.
0: Yeah, completely. And and, and that, you know, maybe that's an SP Kento spot. Maybe that's a Takuma Fujiwara spot. You do a little bit of natural vibes versus Zebrats there. I don't know what you do with the cage. That's a, I don't know, pure speculation just off the top of your head. Is it just a, a cage match this year where they just have stakes of a shaved head or a changed name, or they have to wear a bathrobe to the ring or whatever it is. Or do you think there's something larger at play here?
2: I just like look at how things are going that just like storyline wise, you know, it's like the one storyline that I could see end up being in the cage, but I don't think they'll put them in there. What's that? The Mochizukis. God,
0: that'd be great to have those two in the cage together.
2: We have basically two calendar months. You can get to that point in two months.
0: You you know, this would be the year if you're going to give somebody either a haircut or a real, not, demotion's not the right word, but if you're really going to make somebody feel the brunt of a loss, this is the year to direct all of that towards Yo. He needs, he needs a, a comeuppance of some sort in a major way this feels like the year that he could be the guy stranded in the cage, getting a haircut.
2: Yeah, no. And I think that now that you've put that out there, that does feel pretty likely uh, case. We did not, uh, we touched on Dyke earlier. You brought this up to uh, as an idea idea here. And I've been racking my brain best debuts.
0: Yeah, well we can get through this quick. Cause I, I want to get into Ray Day Parejas before we leave, but you gave the Dyke, uh, Dyke debut match four stars, and that puts it in rarefied air, and I think it has to be discussed among a few other debut matches. The one that comes to mind, it's funny he continues to come up in this episode uh, as we really touch on the various points of his career, but the debut match that I went four stars on in the moment was Strong Machine J's debut in, in April of 2019, Gate of Passion. You can read that review at VoicesOfWrestling.com in the moment I was absolutely floored by what I saw It was him and the, the strong machines. I think it was against Genki Susumu and KZ, that original natural vibes team. I still hold that as the gold standard of debuts.
2: I, yeah, you see, I was much lower on the whole strong machine act, you know? So. Oh, yeah, well, I,
0: but, I, I quickly fell off that bandwagon, but I did love the debut.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, I might need to go back and look at the tape. Oh no, we weren't doing the show at that point, I think. No,
0: we were not not weekly.
2: Yeah, no, I was not as up on that, I believe. Uh I, I, I do think that Strong Machine J, like the thing about that was he really did show that he could do his dad's moves <laughs> very well. And it was, was natural. Also- like he was natural. like he like he was like and it was something that I remember you writing about, like how like he was composed and he was like looking like a wrestler immediately.
0: And I still, I don't know a lot about his background. I don't know how old he is. I don't know where he trained if he did before Dragon Gate, but he he came across like a guy who had had wrestling experience before that debut match. And obviously, you know, it, it, it became very favorable. And I, I also think it was very much an in-the-moment thing. And you and I remember this because I remember talking to you the night of this, but maybe newer fans don't realize, you know, at this point, we were a year removed from the owe exodus and shima and t-hawk and Lindeman and yamamura leaving and all of a sudden one night on like a wednesday drangade announced they were holding a press conference and nobody knew what it was about jay included i remember when jay was like yeah i don't i don't really know what's going on here we were like oh my god what's happening Who, who's leaving what is this what catastrophe happened it was the company closing it was Every bad thought that you could have had, Mike and I, of course, being two anxious men, rifled through a hundred negative scenarios and zero positive ones. And the press conference ended up being, hey, Strong Machine Jace kid is coming in. And then a month later, whenever it was, he had this debut match and there was a ton of hype around it. And then I thought it delivered it. And to this day, you know, there's a few others that I can mention here, but I still think that is sort of the gold standard of Dragon Gate debuts.
2: It. It was something that was just such like a wild like five hours basically. <laughs> like I was like talking with people and everyone's like, "Yeah, no clue, no clue, no it clue." Felt, it felt it's hard to explain how bad it felt in the moment because it
0: was just it was so mysterious. Where there was like, "There's no way this is good. This is so uncharacteristic for this promotion. There's no way this is good, especially coming off of the OWE Exodus." And then it ended up being so anticlimactic. It was like, yeah, kid's coming in. We're going to have them wrestle. That's it.
2: Yeah, but after that, I mean, would you put 12-1 2016 as really, like, because, you like, you look at that match for Yoshioka and Takashima. I don't know. Like, you could really call that, like, I, I look at that more as a gut check match, as the best gut ma- check match of all time. But I don't really, like, Maybe I should recognize that more as like the debut for Yuki Yoshioka than the soul match in Katsumi Takashima's career.
0: Okay, so I was so I was wrong. So Yoshioka debuted technically October 29th, and then his second televised match is that 12 So I'm okay. not gonna I'm not gonna give that to him. Takashima, like we said, if that name doesn't ring a bell to you, there's, there's a, a kid, There There's a kid, his name was Katsumi Takashima. He debuted and and, Cork and Holland, Hall this 10-man tag, one of our favorite matches of all time. And then he was out of the company by the end of 2017. I think there's there's four or five Takashima matches that made TV. And outside of 12-116, they should all be on the network because the network has TV through 2017 on there. Um, but he was a guy who had eye injuries. And if you watch the match, Shima attacks this man, uh, this man's eyes in a way that is just, you have to see it to believe it. It's so vicious. Uh, but that, yeah, I, I'm with you. It's hard for me to count that match because Takashima, who was very good and there was a ton of potential with this kid, it was never fully realized, obviously. Takashima was great, but he's the 10th best guy in a match with 10 guys.
2: And here's the thing, I... He was such, like, he was gone, basically. Like, he he wrestles a little bit. Uh, he was sent back to next Sanctuary shows, and then he was doing TV appearances. But here's the wild thing, Kith. I could not remember him in a single one of these. Yeah,
0: so 16 career matches, and some of those are next matches. Some of those are prime zone matches. I mean, this guy was basically once a month for about uh, until until August of 2017. And then, weirdly, the last month of his career, he actually wrestles more than he ever did. His last match, again, this should be on the network, it was Kagetora Kanda and Takashima versus Don Fuji, Hyo, and Yuti from August 20th of 2017. That was in Hakata Start Lanes. So, yeah, there's just a, there a handful of his matches floating out there he was a very entertaining wrestler very nimble very flexible and we never really saw what he could be I mean you see the randomness of this match right here and again this is on the network the March 8th 2017 Korkin Genki Horiguchi Jimmy Kness Jimmy Konda and Sachihoko Boy versus Drastic Boy Katsumi Takashima Yosuke Maria, and a baby Yuki Yoshioka
2: that's just wild like I've it felt like he got erased from his existence after 12-1 2016. <laughs> like, uh, like, I feel like I was Mandela affected. Oh, completely.
0: I mean, it's it's his career is a non-entity after that point. I mean, there were some, some dark matches here that I would love to see, but, you know, they they didn't air anywhere. They were house show dark matches. He was, you know, match zero on these shows, and his career was, was over as soon as it began. Uh, some of the other debuts that I think are worth mentioning – If you count this one, the Masada Yoshino and brother Stevie uh, Sujimoto debut from the T2P show, I think that one has to be mentioned. I think BB Hulk's debut versus Susumi Yokosuka has to be mentioned. Uh, Kaito Nagano's debut this past year versus Kai has to be mentioned. And SB Kento and Naruki Doi versus, at the time, Takedo Kamei and Yamato from 2019 has to be mentioned.
2: Yeah, and... One that was outside of Dragon System that I remember as being like a crazy one was Utami's debut, Utami Hayashi against Jungle Kiona 2018. Like, that's like the only other one that could really, that really sticks out to me in the way that Daikis did.
0: I would love to know from the New Japan Hive, what's like, what's the best. Y- Debut Young Lion match of the Bushy Road era. Is there one that really sticks out? Because I I mean, basically anything from show and and uh and yo onwards, I would like to know if there's one that sticks out in their minds.
2: Would it have to be Katsumura? Yeah just because of his size? That's,
0: that's certainly in the running. The other one that came to mind, and I'm trying to think if it was his debut match. It was. Alex Shelley versus Jay White. That wasn't that wasn't White's debut to wrestling. He had obviously been in New Zealand a little bit before that. But I remember Jay White's first New Japan match. This was right after World New Japan World became a thing and everybody was watching every New Japan house show. But Alex Shelley versus Jay White was a great match.
2: Yeah, no, that would make sense. Like this, this, this this is unbelievable. January
0: 30th, 2015, Alex Shelley versus Jay White, Kyle O'Reilly versus uh, Yohei Komatsu, and Young Bucks versus Kushida and Mascara Dorada. First three matches on that show.
2: Yeah, my brain just flickered out of existence thinking about Young Bucks versus <laughs> Masquerade Dorada. Oh my God, that's
0: excellent. Masquerade Dorada, that's, Dorada, I'm sorry. Look, I, there's only so many hours of the day, I don't have time to go back and rewatch that, but that sounds fun.
2: Yeah, that sounds fascinating. But it, I, I, I guess like the overall point with like me and Daiki and why that resonated so much just was, like I don't think that match is a three-and-a-half-star match outside of Korkin Hall. It yeah, has that, to be that, there. That,
0: that'll be the interesting thing to see, is when Daiki goes to Kobe and Osaka, Kyoto, Fukuoka, what does he look like? Because we know in Korkin, until something changes, he's going to be a star in that building
2: absolutely so in case you, you talked about you want to hit this fist that quickly because we want to rank ray de parejas before we get out of here because ray de parejas wrapped up on thursday uh d courage won i don't feel like we mentioned that d courage won uh, ray de parejas and we're almost in at the two hour mark here but interesting tournament i while i was walking pudge today i was listed, getting them ranked in my head in a way so how you want to do this well, real quick, let's not,
0: as I say this two hours into a podcast, let's not bury the lead here. First of all, March 2nd, Corkin did 1,186 fans for comparison this year. That is up from the January Corkin shows, neither of which, or I guess uh, the first one which did not crack a 1,000 fans, the second which did just over 1,000 fans, and down about... 12 fans from february so basically flat we'll call it flat from february good number there like i said that number was 1186 which is about 100 or so off from what has been considered a cork and sell out uh, at least as of this month but the main event mike let's clear the runway here talk about this for just a second d versus m3k Conda and susumu you have the floor my friend
2: I don't think that I've seen a Yazushi Kanda match in the last decade as good as this match. That's including, I'm talking about his performance in particular. That's including the Jimmys versus Matt Blankey at Oda. Like The last, last Kanda match that is in the running is Mochizuki versus
0: Kanda from 2011.
2: Yeah, so we're talking at least 11 years here. It starts off with, the Tope and tope hello, and they go right into the M2K combination, uh, Sakamikaze so and the Geku Judo elbow drop. And as soon as that happens, D-Courage takes over and kind of just destroys them for the greater part of, tw- of half an hour. And it's something that, like, the thing that got to me in this match was not just, like, how great Yazushi Kondo was, not just how uh Susumu yokosuka or susumu Mochizuki yet again doing it. Madoka Kakuda in a period in one night case went from like my most improved to a legit most outstanding case. He is amazing. This is the best match of Kakuda's career, in my opinion, to date.
0: I mean as far as I'm concerned, the conversation for most outstanding as we approach the end of the first quarter of the year, it's Brian Danielson, it's Mystico and it's Madoka Kakuta, and you can put them in whatever order you like. But for as good as Okada's been, you know, I know some people are into Taiichi. I, I don't know. I mean, Mi Ohara gets a lot of buzz. That one's always tough for me because I'm I'm just I'm a quarter star lower on every Mi match than everybody else. I know there's guys in the running, but to me, those are the three, and they they have a gap between them, and again, that second group of Okada, Miohara, whoever you want to list uh, you want to list there. It's Danielson, it's Mystico, and it's Kakuta. And my God, were Kakuta and Yoshioka great throughout this entire tournament?
2: Yeah, look, uh, going through it, I think by acclamation, there they won the tournament. They were the most outstanding team in the tournament. After that case, how do how do you have Doiyama stacking up?
0: I have them as the third best team in the tournament. I, let's uh, let's work backwards here and go from 10 down to one as we kind of close out this podcast. Who, let, let, let me ask you this. Who is your worst team in the tournament?
2: I think it's JNF, and it's just because I'm not a strong Machine Army person.
0: I really, I was higher on it than you. I really liked their Yamadoi match, and that kicked them up a few spots.
2: That was a really solid match, but it just did not really keep it up for you. Is it all caps for you for 10?
0: Yeah, Hyo and Ishan, just uh, a, a disappointing tournament, you know. I, I did not think Hyo's shtick landed with me this time around, and Ishan was interesting, but not necessarily good.
2: Ishan regressed by the end of the tournament.
0: I, I agree. I, I'm ready for him to to kind of kick it up a notch.
2: Yeah, so they would have been my number nine, uh, second worst. Uh, what was your second worst?
0: Ben K and Minorita, uh, just... I, I thought they started strong and by the end thought they lost their oomph, thought they lost their drive a little bit.
2: Yeah, and uh, I had the eighth. so j- j- we're just piggybacking here.
0: And, uh, I, and I had strong machines eighth, so we're, we're, our bottom three is roughly the same.
2: Yeah, and it, it is something that, like, in a tournament like this, when you have someone that's going to win, win the wooden spoon, they're going to go over and it's not going to be in doubt. Like after the first match, we're like, okay, there they'll just get ready for a whole tournament of that. And other than the fact that Ben K eventually decided to get in and do the dirty work in the last match, by matches two, by matches three and four, you kind of were done with Ben Rita if you had Ben K start like match three going like oh well the first two matches we just got ran over I got to interject in and maybe it ends that he gets them out of the cellar and they get two points because of Ben Cage decided to do it from there I take it all from here and then you go do Minarita sad boy gimmick then they might have resonated a little bit more but you could tell what their deal is I think the thing really about this bottom tier is it got very samey with them very quickly
0: i agree so your number seven in ray daybury house was
2: and this is where we get to a cliff uh other than the match that they had in corican double dragon uh, was not it for me
0: i'm with you i i expected more from them
2: yeah and, and it's just something that like maybe it is that like you had the nostalgia thing and the idea that dragon dia came out with the mask but it. I did like them versus Shinkai towards the end of the tournament, but that was really kind of like that, and it's only two matches out of five. Where
0: do you go after that?
2: I think, and this is a me thing, I think. It's very... I think it might be uh, Mi- Hulk. I think it might be them.
0: So I've got Susumu and Kanda in this spot, and then Hulk and Minora. Uh, slotted above them in that sixth place place position both teams over delivered obviously Susumu and Kanda uh, bulked up by the finals there and how great they were and Hulk and menora I go back to the first match uh, of the tournament for them that Cork and hall 20 minute time limit draw before we knew that the tournament was going to be filled with draws that was that was shock and awe to me you know I did not see that coming I did not see that match being as good as it was I actually remember expressing to you in the moment you know at the end of January going. I don't I don't know if Hulk and Minora are strong enough to headline this show. I, I worry that they're not going to be able to keep up. And Yamadoi were great the match before, and then I thought Hulk and Minora topped them in the main event. And, and that went a long way with me. Even if their tournament wasn't great every single match, they were so good in their first match that it, it, it kind of boosted them up a little bit.
2: So Susumu and Konda are my six. Yeah, so okay. It, it is something that if it was not for the final so and konda would be looking in that bottom tier completely
0: completely agreed
2: they, they were storing it all up for that because everything before that kind of became super samey and kind of depressing to be frank
0: where do you go after that
2: this is it's harder it's hard for me to put rookie tag higher than five
0: I've got, them, I've got them a few spots ahead. I, I'll say this, uh, and we kind of break down these teams as you list them here. They play to our taste. You know, we really like the the young Gate style of wrestling, but they were just a level above what I thought they were going to be. I mean, the Mochizuki match from Fukuoka, the Mochizukis versus Kato and Nagano, was so much better than I thought it was going to be. You know, I, I, I thought it would sort of be... Like a fun eight-minute sprint that's violent, and thus we like it, and thus we throw it on our spreadsheet at four stars. I wasn't expecting that to be a complete 20-minute performance where everybody looked like a world-beater. You know, they, I obviously have a ton of stock invested in them, but they went up a level in Ray day Haas in a way that I just wasn't anticipating.
2: No, that's entirely fair. So who did you have at five?
0: I would have had Shun and Kai.
2: You see, I have Shun and Kai a little bit higher than that. So this is working interesting here. Uh, what was it about them that you had them at fifth?
0: I simply didn't like them as much as the other teams I liked in this tournament. My big picture of thought coming out of Ray Day-Perejas is they have to do this again next year. Because the, the bottom half of the bracket uh, was not great. The top half, I thought, was otherworldly. And I have kind of sung it from the mountaintops. People need people that slept on this tournament. You know, some tastemakers that were not in tune when this tournament began. They have to play catch up and they have to watch these matches because I would I would really question anybody that didn't come away from Ray Day House with a few, maybe not match the year level matches, but a few holy shit that was great level matches.
2: No, I'm with you with it, and it's the perfect thing for January and February when Dragon Gate does not pull focus really. To just do that tournament. Uh, my fourth is going to be a controversial one. I just can't put them higher than this. That's where I have Doyama. I have them fourth.
0: I've got them third. So, I, you know, okay. same deal.
2: It was something that, like... I think I was lower on Doyama stuff during this tournament other than Corican. But it was something that, for me, when I look at the other three teams, the other three teams were just heads and shoulders above, in my mind. So... Yeah,
0: yeah. my top three is Yamadoi at three, Jason and Jackie at two, and then Yoshioka and Kakuta at one. Do you differ there? Or I guess, what's your, what's your top three? Because you gave me your number four.
2: Yeah, my, number, my top three would be the Mochizukis at three, uh, Kung Fu Masters at two, and then Decourage at one.
0: Yoshioka and Kakuta, I had five matches. If you include the tag title match at Champion Gate, I had 5 of their matches hit the spreadsheet in the last month. That is a pretty good month of wrestling for those guys.
2: And it's something that Madoka Kakuda has not made a step wrong since facing Shingo Takaki. I have never seen like such a abrupt uh, before and after in a wrestler as a, as we have seen since Final Gate 2022.
0: Yeah, and you know, not to my point just a second ago, not only is it 5 notebook matches, it's. I have three of, uh, of his matches, uh, his matches with Yoshioka at four and a half stars from this tournament. I know you went even higher. You went four and three quarters on the Ray Day Parejas main event, uh, but I've got that at four and a half. I've got him and uh, Yoshioka versus Hulkam and Minora, four and a half, and I've got him and Yoshioka versus Jason and Jackie at four and a half, so just a brilliant month for them.
2: It was really something special and hopefully something that they will continue to do Looks like we're not getting another tournament in the first half of the year. We'll see where it goes with King of Gate from there. Case we are under two hours. Should we hold off and do a marathon edition of Remember That Guy, or do you want to do a quick one before we're out of here?
0: Let's hold off on it. We got we got a lot of free space for next week. But you know, if it if it wasn't made clear from all of the all of the banter that we've discussed over the last two hours, the four title matches from this past weekend. Kato and Nagano versus Mochi Fuji, the Daiki debut from Corken in the Ray Day-Parehas finals. Those are the matches you need to go out and watch if you have not seen them already.
2: Yeah, and all of them are on the network, at least from when you get this, for another 24 hours. So Corkin will come off on the 9th, and then it will be the 11th and the 12th for Champion Gate. But case, in that case... That's going to do it for us this week. If you uh, wanted to follow the show, follow us at Open VoiceGate on Twitter, cases at underscore in your case. I'm at Fujiheya. While you're at it, go to iTunes, go to uh, Google Podcasts, go to Spotify, rate and review. For some reason, it really is. Whenever you search for Dragon Gate podcasts, those reviews pop up first. So that's just a matter of that. So the best way is one of the best ways to support the show is to go and do that for us, but that's going to do it for this week. And that's going to do it really for dragon gate until Memorial gate, but we'll be back with you next week We're we're figuring it out here. I've threatened a marathon edition of remember that guy. There's a lots of guys we got to remember, but we'll, we will be sure to let y'all know on social media what the next episode will look like. But for case I'm Mike, thanks for listening Noble voice gate. We'll be back with you next week. Take care.
1: So if you're looking for more coverage of the world of Japanese wrestling, check out the Emerald flow show on the voices of wrestling podcast network available on all of your favorite podcast apps.